The following is a teaching from Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this teaching. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. This morning we're involved in a series of messages entitled 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. This is message number nine. I want to talk to us today about worshiping well. By the way, if you've missed any of these messages, they're all available online at church-redeemer.org. And just look for the, uh, the sermon icon there and get all the back messages available for you free of charge. And so you can stay up with where we are. Next weekend will be our final message in this series. But today... Let's talk together for a few moments about worshiping well. Say that phrase with me, worship well. People tend to live life at different levels, as we've talked about in this series. For some people, just to make it through the day as as a survival kind of mentality, and they're sort of just making it hand to fist, if you will, day by day, just sort of making their way through life. That's called a survival living. There are other people that maybe work hard and accomplish a few things in life and begin to develop some margin. They experience some level of success, and success is a good thing. God encourages us to do our best to live our life wisely, to to actually pursue a dimension of living successfully. I believe that if you follow the ways of God, there'll be a dimension of success to your living. God blesses us, helps us to find ways to live and create margin in our life. It's a very good thing. But unfortunately, a lot of people think that success is really where everything ends. If I can just be successful everything will be great. Well, actually, the Bible teaches us that there's a higher level of living than success. And that higher level of living is something called significance. While that word significant is not in the Bible, the concept of significance is. Because the Bible teaches us that while success, yes, it's a good thing, it's certainly better than just living a life of survival, but success is not the pinnacle of life. Success is about what happens to you. I experience success. It's about your life, but significance goes beyond success. It's not about what happens to you. It's about what happens through you to bless the people around you to advance God's kingdom in the world. And the highest form of living is to live a life where God is working through you to bless people around you, to to advance his kingdom in and through your life. So you can be successful and never be significant. There are a lot of people who succeed in life, but they never become significant in how they live their life. In this series, we're talking about one particular man who lived a very significant life. His name was David, King David in the Old Testament. David is known as a man after God's own heart. David lived a significant life because we're actually studying his teachings, studying some of what he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit this very day, although he dates back thousands of years ago. So he lived a significant life. We're still learning from David. He gave us something to learn from and something to live by, by God's work in and through him. And so in this series, we're talking about the various characteristics of David. Again, a man after God's own heart. And I want to talk today about the worshiping aspect of David. David was a man who became significant because he lived a life of worship. David worshiped well. If you study David's life from the time he's a young man until the time he dies, you will see one consistent theme all throughout his life. David is a worshiper from youth to his death. And in fact, you'll notice right in the middle of your Bible, there's a book that you're familiar with. It's the book of Psalms. There are 150 chapters in this book. And out of those 150 chapters, David wrote over 75 of those Psalms. You see his heart for worship. He was truly a worshiper of God. This made his life significant. 
And if you and I are going to live a significant life, we have to learn something about this, this concept of worship. How do we worship well? Not just a concept, but actually a practice in our lives. Because if you don't learn how to worship well, you'll not have a well-strengthened, well-balanced, well-encouraged life. You need to learn how to worship so I want to talk to you today about some things that I learned as I studied David's life, some characteristics of his life in terms of worship that I think will help us. And I hope that the things I'll share with you today will become sort of a checklist for you. As we go through this today, you'll think about where am I in my worship? Do I have these characteristics in my life? I'm going to share nine of them with you for the next few moments together. The first characteristic of effective worship is that it's, it's focused. It's a focused thing in your life. Everybody here is a worshiper. Whether you realize it or not, you're worshiping something, and you worship whatever is the most important to you. Where your life is focused is the direction of your worship. And David focused his life on God. Through his ups and downs and trials and tribulations and even his failures, David always comes back to the worship of God. David centered his life in the, in the context of who God was and God's work in him. David had a very clear focus in his worship. He worshiped God and he worshiped God alone. No one or nothing else was more important to David than God and his relationship with him. Can I ask you this morning, is God number one in your life? Is he your primary focus? Is he the one that you think about and relate to not just one day out of the week, but that he is the focus of your life 24-7, 365, that it's not just when you come to church on Sunday or on Saturday that you're thinking about God, but you bring God into every realm of your life because you can't worship well unless God is at the center of your life. To make sure that he is the only one that you're giving your full attention and adoration to the center of your being. Psalm 96, verses 4 through 10, David writes about this worship of God, this focus he has upon him. For the Lord is great beyond description and greatly to be praised. Worship only him among the gods. For the gods of other nations are merely idols, but our God made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty are in his temple. O nations of the world, confess that God alone is glorious and strong. Give him the glory he deserves. Deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship him. Worship the Lord with the beauty of holy lives. Let the earth tremble before him. Tell the nations that Jehovah reigns. He rules the world. His power can never be overthrown. He will judge all nations fairly. Do you see that David had a central focus on God, God alone? In Psalm 31, 1, he writes, Lord, I trust in you alone. Don't let my enemies defeat me. Rescue me because you are the God who always does what is right. To worship well, you need to worship with a clear focus upon God and God alone, not just on occasion, but it becomes the theme of your life. The second thing that I'll share with you this morning is that effective worship is always humble. I want to talk about the word humble just for a moment because many of us do not fully understand this biblical term. We kind of think of it in the way the world thinks of humility kind of as a bad thing, but the Bible elevates humility as a very wonderful, powerful thing. The word humble means to to be void of pride or void of arrogance. It's to be a person who is able to show a spirit of deference and submission. When you humble yourself before God, what it means is this. It means that you've moved you out of the way because pride is all about you. In fact, in the very spelling of the word is P-R-I-D-E. Right in the center of the word pride is I. The same is true for sin. Right in the center of it, sin is I. 
And so as long as I am the center of my life rather than God, then I am away from God. I am not pleasing God. I am living my life my way. I'm operating independent of God. So I is the independence. I is the pride that separates us from God. And so if we're going to worship well, we have to come to the place that we move self out of the way and we put God before us and we're able to actually lay down our will to the will of God, lay down what we want to submit to what God wants because humility is all about submission. It's about surrender. It's about laying what you want aside and doing what God wants. There are many times that God will come to your life and he will, he will test you in the realm of your humility. Are you willing to lay aside what you want and do what I want? Can I be the focus of your life? Can I be the center of your life? Can I be the one that you submit yourself and defer yourself to? David lived a life of humility in his worship and because of that, God honored his worship and God blessed his life. In Psalm 51, verse 17, listen to it. David is praying a prayer of confession and forgiveness of his sins after he had committed sin with Bathsheba, and so he's getting his life right back again. He writes these words, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David says, The thing that I want to bring back to you, God, is a, a broken spirit. That is, I'm broken of my own will, and I want to do your will. I am contrite, or I am so sorry for my sins. I'm humbling myself before you, and God, if I'll bring to you a broken spirit and a contrite heart, you will not despise it. In Psalm 25, verse 9, David writes, he guides. God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. God can really only guide you when you're humble. He can't guide you if you're, if you're filled with self. He can only guide you when you've submitted yourself to him. So effective worship is focused. My focus is upon God and God alone. Effective worship is humble. And thirdly, effective worship is always honest worship. It's extremely important in our worship that we learn to be real with God, honest with God. The opposite of honest is phony. None of us want to be phony. And here's the amazing thing. When we come to God, we try to fool God sometimes. You ever tried to fool God? Have this kind of phony thing. Yeah, I'm okay, God. We're good. And God knows we're not good. Because God sees back the superficial phoniness of our lives because he knows who we are. God looks down in the heart. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but, but God always looks at the heart and so he knows what's going on. And so we've got to stop this idea of trying to somehow kind of, kind, of, kind of be phony with God and we have to be honest with God about where we are in life and what's going on with us because God can handle our honesty. We need to be honest with God about our failures and honest with God about our feelings. Because only when you're honest with God about your failures can you find healing for your sins. And only when you're honest with God about your feelings can you find connection with God that will strengthen you and get you through the tough times of life. So honest with God. David brought his whole self to God when he worshiped. He brought the good and he brought the bad and he brought the beautiful and he brought the ugly. If you read the Psalms, you'll see that David is extremely honest with God about every part of his life. In Psalm 32 Beginning in verse number one, you see David's honesty with God about his sin. Notice what he writes here. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Notice verse three. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. There was a time I was trying to hide my sin from God. 
But my dishonesty, notice that word there, my dishonesty, my failure to be honest with God, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day. David says, you know, when I held my sin back and I wouldn't be honest with God about my failures, I found that I was very miserable. I found that to be true as well. How about you? When I'm not honest with God about where I'm failing, where where I'm missing the mark, it makes me miserable. I'm trying to hide something from God. And so here's David facing this very same situation in his life. And then in verse 5, he says, until I finally admitted, I was honest with God, I finally admitted all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide it, hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord. Notice now what happened. When David got honest, what did God do? And you did what? Forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Isn't it amazing what happens when you get honest with God? The very things you're trying to hide hide from God are the very things he wants to heal in your life and restore in your life, but you have to be honest. David was not only honest about his failures, David was honest with his feelings. In Psalm 43, verse 5, he's writing this psalm to God. Notice how raw it is, how, how much emotion is in this statement. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Again, in chapter 13 of Psalms, how long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you look the other way when I'm in need? How long must I be be hiding daily anguish in my heart? How long shall my enemy have the upper hand? Have you ever felt that way in your life? God, where are you? I can't feel you right now. When I pray, it seems like you're a million miles away. God, are you going to ever come back to me? Will I ever know a relationship with you? That's the honesty that David is writing with here. He's sharing the depths of his heart. It is a rawness of emotion. He's being very honest. Then he says in verse three, answer me. I can almost hear him say, answer me, O Lord, my God, give me light in my darkness, lest I die. This is the desperation of David, the honesty of David. Don't let my enemies say we have conquered him. Don't let them gloat that I am down, but I will always trust in you and in your mercy and shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has blessed me so richly. One of the things I love about David is that no matter how far down he goes, he always works his way back up, okay? Always works his way back up to trusting and confidence in God. Do you want to be an effective worshiper? See, worship is key to a significant life. You'll never live a significant life unless you learn to worship. And you can't worship well unless God is your focus and he and he alone is your focus. You'll never worship well unless you learn something about humility in your life, knowing how to defer and submit to God and God's ways. You'll never worship well in your life unless you learn how to be humble, that you walk in humility. And you'll never worship well unless you learn how to worship consistently. There has to be a a dimension of consistency in your life. Effective worship is consistent. It's regular. It's steady. David worshiped very consistently through his pain, through his failures, through his ups and downs, you will always find that he worshiped well. He worshiped consistently. I'm going to talk about two aspects of David's worship. I want you to notice this. We'll look at some scripture here in just a moment. David worshiped personally before God, but he also worshiped with the people of God. He worshiped alone and he worshiped with others. And so his his, the regularity of his worship included both of those things, worshiping alone and worshiping with people. A lot of folks get this confused. They think, well, you say, well, I'm a worshiper of God, but I like to worship him by myself. Well, that's a good thing. Worshiping by yourself is something you should, certainly should do, but some folks even take it to the extreme. I don't need church. I can worship by myself. 
I don't need other people. I can, I can have everything I need with God. Well, well, no, you can't because real worship doesn't just involve your personal worship. It involves your corporate worship as well. Other people say, well, I don't really need to have that personal stuff. I come to church one time a week. I get my worship in on Sunday. Well, no, that doesn't work either because that's not enough. You need a worship that sustains you day in and day out. And so real worship and the kind of worship that needs to be regular in your life is the worship that embraces both the personal and the corporate. You need both. That I worship alone and I worship with others. I worship by myself with God, but I also know how to connect with the people of God. Both need to be regular in your life, consistent in your life. Regularly, I make a commitment that daily I'm spending some time with God, and I make a commitment that at least weekly I'm with the, in the presence of God with God's people. And I'll help you to understand how this can be established in your life well. A lot of people kind of make their decision as to whether they're going to spend time with God daily or weekly, corporately, as the decision comes up. For example, let's talk about church. There's some folks, I'm going to help you right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's about to help you. Go and tell him he's about to help you right now. Okay, ready? Okay. He's about to help you, okay? I'm going to help you right now, okay? I'm going I'm to clear up some conversations that happen every week for you right now. Okay? Are you ready for this? There are a lot of people that every week, as the weekend approaches, the question arises in the household, are we going to church this weekend? Do you want to go to church? Are we going to go? I don't know. You want to go? I don't know. You want to go? How about you? I don't know. You want to go? You're laughing because it happens at your house, okay? Okay. <laughs> And so you spend, you spend time every week, uh, we're going this week, I don't know, you want to go, I don't know, there's a football game, on. whatever it might be, okay. <laughs> let's, let's solve that problem right now. Just make one big decision. One big decision will cure all those 52 other decisions you have to make, all right? The one big decision is, I'm going to the house of God every week, Amen. unless I'm sick or traveling, I will be in God's house, okay? So... tempted to say something right now. I'm not going to say I'm going to say it's like <laughs> But when you make that big decision in your life, then it clears up everything. The same is true daily. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I, I don't know. Do I feel like praying today? I don't know. Am I going to spend time with God? No, I made a big decision that every morning when I wake up as a part of my routine of the day, I'm going to spend some time with God. It's not an option to me. It's not something I even have to make a decision about every day. I made a big decision. See, when you make good, big decisions, it cures a lot of little decisions you ever have to make in your life, right? So just make the big decisions that are right. And so, yes, I'm going to worship regularly. I'm going to worship corporately. Notice that David had this in his life. Notice Psalm 5. I love this. Listen and pay attention to this, this verse. Very important verse. Verse 3. At each and every sunrise, you will what? Hear my voice. God said, David says to God, at each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. I love that. David says, every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar. You know that you have lots of pieces to your life. You've got your work piece and your family piece and your finance piece and your friends piece and your other stuff piece over here of your life. You've got all these different pieces of your life. And David says, every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar before you. That is, I'm spending time with you, God. Every morning my life is laid on the altar before you and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives if we waited on God every morning until the fire fell on our heart? 
And then we walked out of our door with the fire of God in our heart. Would it make a difference in your life? David said, I worship God every day, every morning as the sun rises. I set time with God. And then in Psalm 122, verse 1, you see the corporate side of David's worship. I was glad for the suggestion of going to Jerusalem to the temple of the Lord. The old translation says it this way. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. David said, anytime somebody says, let's go to church, I say, I'm there. Let's do it. Let's get in God's house. So David had this appetite, yes, to worship alone, but the appetite to worship with the people of God. If you're going to worship well, you have to worship consistently. It has to be a regular part of your life, personal and corporate. Number five, the fifth thing. Effective worship is also confident worship. Confidence is the belief that you can rely on someone or something, that it's going to be firm, it's going to be steadfast, it's going to be faithful, you can trust in it. That's what confidence is. And David had this strong confidence, this strong faith in God. There's a consistent theme of confidence in, 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 in God throughout the Psalms as David writes them. He was confident in who God was. He was confident in what God had done in the past. He was confident in what God was going to do in his life. David had an assurance, a deep trust in who God was and what God was going to do. He knew God, the nature of God, the character of God. He was confident about God. In Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is, this is what he is. He is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. David was confident of that. Psalm 20, verses six or eight. Now this I know. That is, I'm confident of this, David says. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his holy sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. That is confidence. Okay. David says some are trusted in the chariots, the horses, the, the resources of the world, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And all those who are trusting in the resources of the world, they, they fall down. They're brought to their knees and they fall, but we rise and stand firm because our trust is in God. Notice that real worship is a confident worship in who God is, what God has done for you, and what God is going to do for you in your life. You worship well when you worship with faith and with confidence. Number six, effective worship is also grateful. It's grateful worship. David was a grateful worshiper. He consistently saw his blessings. He saw God's love and God's favor. He was appreciative for all that God did in his life. And he expressed his gratitude, his gratefulness to God over and over again. When you read the Psalms, you'll find him expressing his gratitude to God. And you and I will never worship well until we learn to be grateful people. Every person here today, you have something to be grateful for. I'll say that again. I want to hear a stronger amen. Everybody here today has something to be grateful for, right? You have something to be grateful for. No matter what you're going through in your life, you have something to be grateful for. You have something to be thankful for. Okay. And the Bible encourages us to be people of thanksgiving. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I encourage you to be here for our, our Thanksgiving Eve service. It's a great time for giving thanks, but it shouldn't be reserved to one time a year, right? Thanksgiving is something that we need to do on a consistent basis. But remember this. When you, when you stop for a moment right now and you think about what you're thankful for, I'm sure something comes to mind right now. If I handed you a sheet of paper and said, write down what you're thankful for, you, you would write at least one thing down on that piece of paper. You could think about it and come up with something you're thankful for. But that's not Thanksgiving. That's thinking what you're thankful for, 
but thanksgiving is only translated into thanksgiving when it's spoken. See, I can think thanks to my wife all day long, but she doesn't know what I'm thinking. She only knows it when I put my arms around her and say, thank you, honey, that was an amazing meal you just made for me, and I just want you to know I'm so grateful that you made such an awesome meal for me. You've been doing it for 42 years. You're awesome. You're amazing. You've put up with me over all kinds of things in life. You're wonderful. Thank you. Now, when I do that, guess what happens? Lots of good things. Why? Because she's heard me communicate. She's heard me say it with my mouth. I didn't just think it, I said it. And so many times in life, we might think for a moment that we're grateful about something, but we need to communicate it and we need to communicate it to God. We need to say to God, God, this is what I'm grateful for. This is what I thank you for. This is what I want to communicate to you, my deep appreciation for what you've brought about in my life, what you're doing for me and the blessings you bring to me. And just for the fact that you are God who is loving and good and kind and gracious and compassionate and there with me, you will never leave me nor forsake me. I thank you, God, for being my God. That's worship. See, you're expressing it to him. It's not just holding it back and thinking about it from time to time, but it's coming out of your mouth and you're communicating it. The psalmist David said in Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Notice it's a command. This is what we're to do. Give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Notice this, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. What does that mean? Gates with thanksgiving? I don't have a gate at my house, okay? What are you talking about? What's well, the Old Testament tabernacle? The Old Testament temple eventually, David did not live in the era of the temple, but it will eventually be built. He lives in the age of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. And the, you come into that place of worship, you come through the gates. And the, David's saying, I'm going to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Then I step into the courts. And when I step into the courts, I enter the courts with praise. How does that translate to us? I'll give you one example. When you come to church, you need to bring your, your thanks and praise with you. Okay. Amen? A lot of times we come to church and we're waiting for the worship team to get us up so we can worship a little bit. About the third song, we finally say, thank you, Jesus. Okay? <laughs> they kind of pumped us up enough where we can finally get a little thanks out. I'm looking forward to the day that when you turn from Woodfield Road into here, I'm starting to hear the thank yous coming from the parking lot. Amen? Okay? Are you hearing me today? And so you come in, you get out of your car, you're already thanking God for his blessing in his life. And then we open up the, the gates and you come through the gates with thanksgiving. You walk out in the foyer and they finally open the doors to the worship center and you walk in and you bring your praise in with you. We're not spending our time trying to get you to praise. You actually brought your praise with you. You're, you're, you're saying, I'm entering, I'm, I'm coming through the gates with thanksgiving. I'm coming into the courts with praise. Can you imagine what would happen? in a service when we all came together with that kind of an attitude. Amazing things would happen. 
We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We're thankful to him and we bless his name. Psalm 119, 164. I stop. Everybody say stop. Come on, say it. Stop. Okay. Sometimes you just need to stop. Stop what you're doing. And David said, there's some times in my life that I stop to do what? I stop to praise you seven times a day, all because your ways are perfect. What if you just set your timer on your phone or on your watch for seven times a day, and when that timer went off, you just stopped? Whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved in, you stop and you say, God, I'm going to give you the next 30 seconds. I'm just going to stop for 30 seconds and give you praise. And seven times a day, you stop and say, God, I'm going to remember who you are. That's how important Thanksgiving is in our lives. Let's go to the next one, the seventh one. Effective worship is always sacrificial. Sacrifice is, is when you give up something of value for something you value more. I'll say that again. Sacrifice is when you give, give up something you value for something you actually value more. Okay? Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. It'll be a silly illustration, so forgive the silliness of the illustration, but it's about the only thing I can think about today, and it's the one that came to my mind, so you'll, you'll kind of get this. When it comes to food stuff, there's certain foods I like, certain foods I don't like. Everybody agree, right? Certain things you like, some things you don't like. One of the things I do not like, I detest. I am not, I, I just can't even get around it. It's called liver. Anybody like liver? Okay, shake your hand. Okay. Liver is, 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 it comes from a dark place. I'm not sure it is a very dark place. Okay, so, so. I rebuke it every time I see it in the name of Jesus. You know, get behind me. Okay. So liver is just not something I've never, didn't grow up eating it, don't like it, you know, and so... If, if I have liver in front of me and I give you my liver, uh, no, thank you. You can have it. That is no sacrifice for me. It's not a, it's not a sacrifice. Well, I'm actually saying, thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> because I'm getting rid of something I don't like, I don't want, I don't value it, okay? So I can get, I, you can give away all day stuff you don't value, right? If you don't value, you're free. You give, it's amazing how generous you are with things you don't like, okay? <laughs> Stuff you don't care about, no, you give it away all day long. Think you're being generous, you're just getting rid of stuff you don't like, okay? <laughs> However, on the other hand, there's some food I really like. And you know that if I have a bag of peanut M&Ms in my hand, <laughs> and I give you one, I love you. Because <laughs> huh? that's a sacrifice, okay? Because I'm counting those things with... You with me? Okay. Because I value that, but if I give you one, I mean, I, I value you more than I value this, okay? Are you with me today? Okay. So, again, it's a silly illustration, but it kind of brings the point home that you realize that you, a sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice, okay? That's totally profound, isn't it? Okay. That you got you to gotta really value something and place something of higher value so you're making a sacrifice for it. David's worship involves sacrifice. Let me take you to 2 Samuel chapter 24. I'll start with verse number 18. This is a time when a great plague had broken out in Israel because of some sin that had occurred there. And so the prophet Gad comes to David, gives him some instructions. That day Gad came to David and said to him, go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Verena, the Jebusite. So David, go build an altar. 
So David went to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Aruna saw the king, this is the guy that owned the, the threshing floor that David wanted to buy. When Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he, that is Aruna, came forward and fell flat on the ground with his face in the dust. Why have you come, Aruna asked. And David replied, to buy your threshing floor so that I can build an altar to the Lord and he will stop the plague. And so David says to, to Aruna, I want to buy your piece of ground. There's a piece of property that I want to build an altar on and I need to buy it from you. Notice what happens. Verse 22, use anything you like, Aruna told the king. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing instruments and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, and may the Lord God accept your sacrifice. Notice this. Here's the guy. The king comes. I need to buy your property. I've got to build an altar. And the guy says, no, no, you're not, you're not, you're not going to buy it from me. I'm going to give it to you. You're the king. You can have anything you want. So here's the property, and here's my oxen for burnt offerings. Here's all the threshing instruments you can use for wood, etc. This is all yours, David. Just take it. Now, David could have very easily said, that's awesome. Thank you so much, right? I mean, if you're about to buy something and someone says, oh, don't buy it. I'll just give it to you. Would you say a good hallelujah right there? Okay. That's awesome. Great. Mine now. But notice what David does. Notice the next statement. But the king, that's David, said to Aruna, no, I will not have it as a gift. I will buy it, for I don't want to offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid him for the threshing floor and the oxen. Why did David do that? Because he did not want to worship without it costing him something. And I will tell you that real worship in your life always costs you something. You have to put God before other things in your life. You have to be willing to pay the price of real worship. God will put some demands on you at times, and those demands are a test of your, of your willingness to sacrifice portions of your life to put God higher than the things that you really value. When David comes to the end of his life, the biggest thing that David wanted to do, do with his life was to build the temple. God told him he could not build the temple. He was a man of war, and so he was going to allow his son Solomon to build the temple. But David was still at the end of his life desiring to see the temple built that Solomon would be involved in doing. And notice what happens as David speaks these words to Solomon and the leaders of Israel. And now because of my devotion to the temple of God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures to aid in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected. These personal contributions consist of millions of dollars of gold from Ophir and huge amounts of silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings. It will also be used for the articles made of gold and silver for the artistic decorations. Notice what David says. David says, I'm about to die, but I've wanted to see the temple built, but I can't build the temple. But what I'm doing is I'm going to take my resources, millions of dollars worth of gold. And I'm going to make sure they go toward the building of the temple. I'm giving you all this stuff so the temple can be built. I'm going to give it out of a sacrifice of my heart to see God's kingdom advance. And then he makes this statement. Now then, who will follow my example? who will give himself and all that he has to the Lord. So David said, I'm going to set the example by sacrificing who else will follow me. And of course, many followed him as well. Why? Because they were learning the principle that real worship, to worship well, it always involves sacrifice. I've got two more. We're going to conclude. Can you stay with me for two more? About five minutes. All right. Preacher's five minutes. <laughs> real worship, effective worship is always transformational. I want to cover this fairly quickly. I want you to get this concept. You may want to write down these two words on your notes, transformational versus transactional. Transformational, transactional. 
Many of us have a transactional approach to worship. We have, when we worship, we, we, we transact with God. God, this is what I want. Let's have a little transaction. I'll tell you what I want. You give it to me and we're done, okay? It's like when you go to the grocery store and you need a loaf of bread, you pick up your loaf of bread, you give them the money, they give you the bread, you had a transaction and no relationship with the person that sold you the bread. It was a business transaction. And that's how we often relate to God. We, we relate to God as though we're, we're transacting business with him. We bring him what we want and God, do this for me and thank you so much. See you later. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks when I have another need. Transactional, but transformation is different. God wants to relate to you not as a transactional God, but as a transformational God. That God, yes, He will answer your prayers and respond to your needs, but He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to hang out with Him, and He wants to hang out with you, and He wants to change you on the inside. He wants more of His character to be poured in you. He wants to get into your business. He wants to get down inside of you and work on stuff in your life that maybe you haven't noticed before, you haven't worked on before. So God says, I want to transform. I don't want a transaction with you. I want a transformational moment with you. David understood this in Psalm 66, verse number 16. All you lovers of God who want to please him, come and listen, and I'll tell you what he did for me, what he did for me. I cried aloud to him with, with, with all my heart, and he answered me. Now my mouth overflows with the highest praise. Yet if I had closed my eyes to sin, the Lord would not have closed, would have closed his ears to my prayer. But praises rise to God, for he paid attention to my prayer and answered my cry to him. I will forever praise this God who didn't close closed his heart when I prayed and never said no when I asked him for help. He never once refused to, notice this, show me his tender love. David said, God showed me as it wasn't just a transaction. I got to know him. In Psalm 19, verse 12, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free from guilt, innocent of great sin. May, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David was asking for transformation. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Effective worship is transformational. It changes you. And finally, effective worship is joyous. There are a lot of heavy elements to worship. We've talked about some of them, but there's also what I would call the lighter side of worship. I don't mean that in a disrespectful or irreverent way, but I'm talking about just the, the fun side of worship. True worship should be offered to God with joy and, with, and it should be enjoyable. Worship is not meant to be this ominous, intimidating activity. It wasn't for David and it shouldn't be for us. Worship is joyous. It connects us to a loving God, a good God, a, a gracious God, a, a compassionate God, a freeing God, a fulfilling God. This is what worship is. See, heaven is filled with joy. Do you believe that? You know that when you get to heaven, you're gonna do some laughing there. Have you ever thought about that? God may have some good jokes. You never know, okay? But God's going to, he's going to bring out the fullness of your joy in a variety of ways. So joy is a part of our relationship with him and it's a part of our worship. David says in Psalm 47, one and two, come everyone clap for joy. 
shout triumphant praises to the Lord, for the Lord the God, the Lord the God is above all gods, is awesome beyond words, for he is the great king of all the earth. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Give a joyous shout to the honor of the rock of our salvation. Come before him with thankful hearts. Let us sing him, let, let us sing him psalms of praise, for the Lord is a great God, the great king of all gods. 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 14, then King David was told, the Lord is blessed, Obed-Edom's household, and everything he has because of the ark of God. That's the presence of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great funeral. It didn't say that in your Bible. No, it says a great what? He's bringing the ark of God. And what are they having along with the bringing of God's presence? What? Celebration. Last time I checked, celebration is pretty joyous, right? After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, every time they took six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. I want to conclude with this one last passage. The book of Psalms carries 150 chapters. It wraps up in the most beautiful way. As a psalmist writes these words, hallelujah, yes, praise the Lord. Praise him in his temple and the heavens he made with his mighty power. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the trumpet and with the lute and harp. Praise him with the drums and dancing. Praise him with string instruments and horns. Praise him with the cymbal. Yes, loud, clanging cymbals. Let everything alive give praises to the Lord. Yes, praise or you praise him. Hallelujah. The old translation says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That phrase, praise the Lord, is a phrase that you better know. We saw it in that translation. It's the word hallelujah. Say it with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a statement of joy. It's a statement of invitation. Every time you say hallelujah, what you're doing is you're telling your soul, give praise to God. He is worthy. Every time you speak hallelujah out loud, you're also encouraging everybody around you to give praise to God because he is worthy. Why do we give praise to him? Because he is the awesome, great God. He brings joy to our lives. Can I encourage you? As you look over these nine things, to do a little investigation in your own life, how are you doing in the worship category? Are you worshiping well? Because unless you worship well, you'll never understand significance. But when you worship well, it moves you into a life that goes far beyond success to a level of real significance. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word today. We're grateful for the word of God. We ask that you would seal this in our heart, continue to teach us about worship before you. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. 
and I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.